Hi, I'm Mario Guerra, the former mayor of the great city of Downey, and I'm here today with my co-host and uh, the editor of the Downey Patriot, Eric Pierce, and we're here today talking Downey with Mario and Eric. Here today we have a special guest. Uh, we decided the down talking downy that we would have uh, a serious uh, a serious a series of interviews with our assembly candidates. Our show is not meant to be political, but we need to be politically astute on things that impact downy in our surrounding areas. Our assembly seat is open this year. Uh, Christina Garcia, our former assemblywoman, is now running for Congress, and so now there's several people that are vying for her seat. One of them is this candidate here uh, that we know him, Dr. Robert Cancion. Cancion. And uh, first of all, so welcome. Welcome to Talking Down. Thank today. you so much, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Good. Thank you for being here. And, you know, before we get started, I do want to, to say that every candidate was has been invited to yes. appear on the show. Correct. Uh, as of today, uh, four candidates have uh have accepted the offer, but everybody's welcome. I yes. just want to get to, I think it's important to, I think to, it to, to say that. I think so. So, and basically what we want to do today is, is uh, we want the, our, our residents and our voters on there to get a chance to know you, to know the opportunities, what you're about on there, so they can cast an informed decision on there after listening to four of the candidates. Great. Uh, especially the four of you guys seem to be the, the leading candidates for us. So, first of all, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, so uh, my name's Rob Cancio, all my friends call me Rob, and I was born in Los Angeles. I grew up in, not too far from here, in Norwalk, uh, from Rosecrans, and uh, went through K-12 through of the Norwalk Lombard Unified School District. I graduated in 2005 from Southeast Military Academy. So it's the only free military academy in the state of California. It's a great program that we have in Norwalk Lombard. And it's so right, it's right next to uh, St. Linus. Right I'm next to St. Linus off yeah. of uh, Shoemaker. Yeah, yeah. Right, right next to St. Linus across from John Glenn High School. Right. And so graduated from there after in 2005. I went to the United States Navy. I enlisted in the United States Navy as a cryptologist. And I did uh, four years, two tours, one in 2007 and one in 2009. And after my, my military stunt, I decided to uh, come back home, go to college. And so I went to East Los Angeles College, not too far from here. And then from there, I transferred to UC Berkeley. And then from Berkeley, it was too cold, too much rain. So I decided to go to the University of Miami, where it was warm, too much rain. And total I, I, opposites. Total opposites. And I, I finished my doctorate there at the University of Miami. I began publishing. And I came back to the West Coast. And I started teaching out here at Loyola Marymount University. Did a stunt there for a while. And uh, you know, my own business took off, and and so I, I right now I work for uh, the largest firm that uh, is actually in charge of the New York Stock Exchange, and it's, it's a large uh, housing uh, mortgage market uh, a tech company, and uh, I teach on the side. I have my own business, and I'm a school board member for the Norwalk Lombard Unified School District. I, I did all that in one breath, by the way. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you, you really did, but Rob. If I can, if I can call you Rob. Please, all my friends call me Rob. Um, you know, there's a lot going on in, in California, in, in the nation. Generally speaking, what's your general take on what's happened on the state of California right now? I think that, you know, historically California is known as the golden state, the golden state of opportunity. And unfortunately, 
uh, we've had a few uh, bad apples, if you may, that have been navigating our state from being the golden state to being the gilded state. And so that's what happens when you don't have leadership from the front. That's when you don't have uh, elected officials that act on conviction, that have a vocation for serving their community and really putting their, their best foot forward when it comes to some policy issues that are not just buzzword policy issues, but very much overarching solutions, not one-stop shop solutions uh, that identify problems, sometimes data-driven, um, but actually you know, attempt to solve the issues. And so I, I think right now in California, we're at a precipice where, uh, no pun intended, but we're in a wrinkle of time. And especially for this district, uh, the 64th district, which has the highest Gini index than any other district in the state of California, so everything from Cudahy all the way to La Habra Heights. And so uh, this open seat, you know, it, it's very significant because it's a, it's a wide range of folks in different socioeconomic status, uh, occupations, reception, context of reception to the country, uh, perceptions about what government should look like, how it should act. Um, but again, it's a very good opportunity for us here in the district to you know, have leadership that really changes the direction, not just of our district, but in the state of California as a whole. So what do you think, that, not only in the state on there, but uh, what do you believe is some of the biggest um, issues that we have from the district itself, from the everyday, what's happening here? What would you change? What are your thoughts of doing that would help the district? So I'll give you a, I'll just pick, pick one. There's multiple issues, uh, but one of the ones that's been discussed a lot by a lot of the candidates is housing and homelessness. Mm -hmm. And so my, my forte as a statistician in my work uh, really focuses on the mortgage market. Now, if you put homelessness and housing in the same conversation, same breath, that lets me know you have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, the, the housing industry, the mortgage market, mm -hmm. are related, but they're very much separate. And so solutions within them look very different. Um, now, as opposed to homelessness, now we're having conversations about social and emotional health, mental health, social services. And so here in the district, uh, obviously apart from gas, as mm -hmm. we all see, mm -hmm. but housing is a huge issue with the bubble market that's going on now. Folks are anticipating a drop. Folks are, are hoping for uh, interest rates to, to lower. Um, and just folks are scared and confused on what's going on. And so this isn't healthy for the market itself. Mm -hmm. um, because if there's a crash, right, there, there's, there's implications, there's, there's uh, folks that may lose their jobs, but also folks that may lose their homes, you know, or folks that are eager to, to purchase a home, but because of the archaic ways that we've uh, been able to qualify people, they don't have an opportunity to, to own a home. And as we all know, you know, owning a home is that first step, it's an initial step, and one of the many steps uh, when it comes to building wealth yeah. here yeah. in the country, you know, one of the first steps of putting your kids into education and, um, and, and being really embedded in, in a community. So I think that the housing and mar mortgage industry, uh, it's, it's a hot topic right, right now. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a very significant topic uh, that we need to really think critically. I'll give you an example of, of how uh, folks in, in uh, politics have failed to do so. So there's been legislation that says, okay, we know what, now you could build uh, yeah. units to rent in your house. Mm -hmm. Right, you could convert a garage into a, right. a single unit right. or the property that you have. And that's great, right? Mm -hmm. The attempt is, well, you know what, we're going to allow right. uh, folks an opportunity to be able to rent, mm -hmm. hopefully addressing the housing crisis, but go to Home Depot, purchase the plywood, mm -hmm. go purchase a toilet, mm -hmm. 
$250, $300 for a toilet, plywood, forget about it. The prices are, are going from $30 now, $20, it really just depends. And so although there's this you know, essential solution for the problem when it comes to the housing market, yeah. right? There, there wasn't really a lot of thought process behind, well, you know, how are we gonna support folks that want to partake in this market, right. that want to convert their garages, that want to right. convert their homes? You know, it wasn't thought through. Right. And so it's very expensive to, to upgrade your units. And again, this is a, just one example of how legislation has really failed to see the bigger picture, taking yeah. a step back, taking a data-driven uh, way of looking at a problem and offering data-driven solutions. Well, Rob. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, uh, no, you know, speaking of housing, do you support rent control? So I support fair market practices. And fair market practices are where giving people opportunities to build wealth, to own homes, to, to, to have a, access here to grow uh, here in our country. And so rent control, it's a buzzword. That's what it is. And so it's not thought through. A fair market practice when it comes to rent, that's thought through. There's policy behind it. There's data behind it. There's ways that we could help community ha have access and opportunity. But we have to understand, too, you know, who's owning uh, apartment buildings, who's owning a rental, right? The, you know, most of the time it's not a multi-billion dollar Correct. company. It's a mom and pop. It's grandma and grandpa that are renting the, the, the unit out back in their duplex. It, it's their, it's their uh, rental monies. And so we have to think creatively and critically about how we continue to support folks that do offer rental opportunities, but also support people that are renting. And that's what a fair market practice is. That's, so it's, it's completely uh, opposed to, to controlling the so, market. So we're talking about housing, that's really important because you know the state mandated uh, a year and a half ago that uh, overrode uh, local zoning and said you have to be able to build up and so forth, even though a community may be, like Downey's a built out community and most mm -hmm. of the cities that would be you would be representing in the district would be. So tell us about local control. What are your thoughts on that from a state mandating things that maybe the local cities and the residents, because you know when we talk about adding the extra housing in our street and so forth, going up or in the backyard or things like that, you know, that's more congestion, more traffic right. on there, and the neighborhoods are zoned for a particular or are done for a particular reason. What are your thoughts on that? So I love local control. Local control tells us, you know what, we're gonna go with the subject matter experts. And so in this instance, the subject matter experts are the residents, yeah. right? This is our community, right? What's the perception of, of, of our community? What's, how's the context of our community going to change with some of these initiatives? impositions from Sacramento, um, especially those now that are really backed by buzzwords, by buzzword politicians, they don't offer solutions. They put pressure on our community. And so you know, folks are tired of it. Folks are exhausted. Folks are exhausted as much with the left as they are with the right, right? And the, the definition of both sometimes is really ambiguous. But you know, also well, sometimes you know this is this is us giving our opinions now. Sometimes you need that pressure, I think, to stimulate local government to to act, or or else you know local governments are going to to you know cite congestion and parking, and they're not going to build more housing. Yeah. This is just, but, so well, again, um, when it's a built-out city, right. you know, this sure. is Eric and I sometimes we no, we just this, right. yeah. I, I think this is a hot, I was going to say gas, but this is a hot topic because yeah, you know, yeah. people get so emotional about it, sure. and so you know, it really you know having a discussion. There was no discussions mm -hmm. with cities. Right. There was no discussion right. with community. It was a straight imposition. It was a mandate. Yes. Right. A mandate. So right. I do understand how sometimes Sacramento does have to come in and say, you know what, 
we have to change, we have to shift uh, gears here, we have to turn the aircraft carrier slowly but surely. That's different than I'm gonna force you to build homes. Absolutely. Because when you force, when you impose the construction of homes, you know, uh, what is it really doing to a community? Right. Mm -hmm. How is it dynamically changing uh, a community? And you know, when folks buy a home, so we're, since you know we're talking about now the, the mortgage industry, when folks buy a home, what's the first question they ask? How much? How are the well? How are the schools? <laughs> oh yeah, of mm -hmm. course. A mass building, you know, uh, how does that increase or or, or, or contribute or not the contribute property values, right. to property values mm -hmm. to school districts? And so we're not talking about any other thing than just you know by the numbers. Right. You look right. by the numbers, right. it doesn't make sense. Right. And so we need solutions that make sense, that are data-driven solutions. Right. Well, and so, when we talk about, you know, rent control, I mean, it was just this arbitrary 5% the state imposed a couple years ago with the cost of living right. and so forth. So I have uh, several units in Huntington Park. I'm not a wealthy person on there, but I've always kept uh, the units very low because I've had people in there for 20 some odd years, right? Almost didn't increase them. I'm 40% market value. So when the rent uh, control came in, you know, I had a long talk with my tenants and said, look, I have to increase it 5% right. a year because if not, I can't fix your roof in four years more when it needs it or this and that. So in some cases, I think it hurt people because mm -hmm. uh, you automatically are getting a 5% where in the past you made, it didn't have to be that high. Right. So, but that goes yeah. back to that fair market value. Correct. Right? Correct. That goes back to, you know, you're not increasing, uh, you know, the, the rent for profitability, right. you know, the increase here is for feasibility, mm -hmm. is for offering folks yeah. that safe home, that right. good roof, the, yeah. the plumbing upgrade. I'm not going to say you have, uh, I was going to say copper, uh, but um, clay plumbing, but you know, it, it really it gives people a safe place to be in, and that, right. that's really the conversation we should right. be having, right. right? How can we shift the gamut and provide people a great place to live here in right. California, yeah. right. you know? Rob, I was, you know, I was reading in the, in the LA Times about California having this huge surplus. I don't remember how many billions of dollars it is. Forty-nine billion. Forty-nine billion dollars, yeah. and they're talking about you know issuing rebates or, or, or whatever. Rob, generally speaking, this is a very open uh, question. Do you support raising taxes? Do you think they should be rolled back? What's your opinion? No. You don't no. support. No, we, we so so. Here's the thing, you know, when when we're talking about raising taxes, it, just use the word tax, right? It is taxing, right? We are taxing residents here that are exhausted, that can't fill their gas tank up, that can't go to to Walmart, you know, or to to a local market, uh, and and actually buy the the necessities that they need because of this over taxing. And so we have to think critically again about how do we support local community? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't come from impositions, it doesn't come from hypertaxation. Uh, as you see here earlier in the year, the state of California had a surplus of taxes, $20 billion. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's doubled so, since the same budget, it has, sorry, and it it's going to go another 60, right. but it's going to go be 60 some odd billion extra money next so year. So when the state of California <laughs> says, you know what, we've been overtaxing, or we, we have so much money, all this surplus from taxing, uh, Hey, it's out in the open. Folks, what do you want to do with it? Well, you're not asking residents. Mm -hmm. right? Who, who's really getting at that money? Uh, but that money came out of somewhere. That money came out of someone's mm -hmm. paycheck that needed mm -hmm. to fill their gas tank right. to take their kids to school. Right. That money came from, uh, from, from 
your your budget to go to the market that now you don't have it anymore because the state has a surplus of taxation. So, so what would you do on the gasoline tax, for example? We take it off. No gasoline tax. I know. I understand some of my colleagues, uh, or some of the folks that are that are running for for this seat, have a stern opinion about the gas tax. They support the gas tax because it supports infrastructure, or uh, it's it's perceived that it supports infrastructure or improvement to infrastructure. Show me. Show me the numbers. When we have a surplus of gas, I'm sorry. When we have a surplus of taxes, um, and yet you're still imposing gas tax. Uh, you know what's what's going on? Right. How about the magic yeah. word audit? When was the last time the state of California was audited? Right. We have to think smart about our monies, and so, and and again, this isn't a right or a left conversation. This is just a a realistic conversation about you know being present, being active, and and, and being provocative about you know thinking creatively of how do we provide Cal the residents of California that. That golden state. Yeah. How do we bring that back? How do we deliver the golden state back well, to folks that live well, here? Well, and, and the gas tax. I mean, it, it hurts, unfortunately, the people who can least afford it. Right. You know, I I I don't like paying an extra twenty dollars to fill up my gas tank. You know, I'll survive. But the people that that needed to barely get by from paycheck to paycheck on there, the hardworking Californians, especially in this district, you know, I think it's it's so important for them. Um, you know, this district four years ago. And it was more of a congressional district, a little bit different, obviously, than this assembly district, especially now re redistricting. Um, you know, this was the, the lowest percentage of voter turnout from this district of any other congressional district in the entire country. Because I work with Congressman Lucia Royballer to see how we could help mm -hmm. promote, you know, voter uh, going out and people going out and voting and stuff like that. So I think it was a, a genuine disinterest. Um, it was the Latino communities were out there busy working and raising their families, you know? Right. So I think my, my question is that the big three things that everybody's concerned about are, of course, inflation, you know, gas prices, and then the last one is crime. You know, when we see all the things on the news and everybody's scared of that. What are your thoughts on, on those three, but especially even crime that we haven't really touched on yet? Perfect. And, and you know, as, as both of you know, crime, you know, uh, or, 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 or schools, or, sorry, or public safety is something that's really intimate to me, being the fact that you know, my family's uh, in law enforcement. But the key word here, actually the key acronym here is ROI. What is a return on investment? Yeah. And so when it comes to public safety, there's been proven time and time again reports, publications that show when you have appropriate investment in law enforcement, in public safety, in those services, the delivery is tenfold, a hundredfold. When you deliver that quality service, and so I, you know, I think that there needs to be, a, you know, we, we saw the, 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 uh, the Democratic Party shift from a defund to now fund. You know, what does that say to law enforcement families? What does it say to our men and women that are out there in the streets? Right? The, the, the perception of their government, the trust that their government's giving them, uh, the, the attitude of, of their government towards their service, towards the service that their families also endure when they're out, uh, out helping patrolling in the streets or, or whatever their assignment is. And so when we think critically about, you know, let's look at the line item budgeting when it comes to public safety. 
let's look at where we put our monies, right? And let's look where we need to invest our monies. So when you say appropriate investment, what do you, be, what do you mean by that? So as an example, training. Training is a huge, uh, a, a huge part of, of law enforcement as a whole and agency. You know, we always have, uh, or there's always multiple different types of trainings that are going on. Uh, but you know, what about adding a new chapter, right? In terms of, well, let's have some some mental health training uh, for law enforcement, mental health training for themselves, for their colleagues, mental health training uh, when it comes to them being on the field, right? Uh, how do you approach someone if there's a, uh, a it's perceived um, someone that has a, a special needs? Right, how do you police that? That's that's not really discussed, but we need to offer that those types of trainings, those very explicit types of training that then go back and what it serves our community. Right. So, Rob, you, you come from a law enforcement family. I know your siblings are law enforcement. Uh, I'm the chaplain for the Downey Police Department, so I, I'm with great men and women all the time, and I see this. Some of the frustration that law enforcement has are issues that you arrest somebody and they're out in the street and half an hour later, you know. Uh, and of course, Prop 47 and 57 were big issues. So as an elected official representing this district, how would you be voting or how, what would be your thoughts on uh, propositions like 57 and 47 and about overturning them or, or modifying them? They don't work. Repeal. Right? We, we really need to be serious about law enforcement. We really need to be serious about public safety. So as I mentioned earlier, right, the first question when someone buys our home is what? How are the schools? The second question is how's the community? Right. Is it safe? Right. Is it safe for my children to walk from my home yeah. to, to, to school? Right? And so all too often that conversation in our district has been changing, has been much more yeah. negative. Yeah. Right? It's, it's no longer considered to yeah. be safe. And so, you know, Apart from it being an unfortunate thing of how that conversation has changed to draconic conversations, you know, what about just reinvesting to ensure that we provide safe and healthy communities where folks can grow, folks can prosper, folks can feel uh, invested by, by, by their local leadership. And so that's a, that's a whole mentality. That's about service with conviction. That's about service with vocation. When, when your ultimate goal is to, to take up a position in, as an elected, for the sake of having that elected position, that's not vocation. Yeah. That's not that, that's not a sense of conviction. That's a sense of personal interest. And so, when you really care about the community that you live in, the the way that you look at issues, you look at the, the number one, a sense of urgency, a sense of compassion. Uh, you want to be as rational as possible, and, and really. Uh, take in the perceptions of who the subject matter experts, which is your constituents, your community. Right. So I'll give you a, a small example of what that looks like. When I set the dais for the Norwalk Lamar Unified School District, so for me, when I make decisions, I think of myself as well. My charge is I have 17,000 dreams that I'm in charge of. Dreams, not constituents, not voters. These are folks I can't. This this is a whole generation, and so the decisions that I make drastically change opportunities for folks. Perceptions about how education perceives them, how they can and cannot navigate education. Uh, what's their next steps uh, after they graduate high school? What does success mean? And so when you, uh, when I look at the, at the seat on the dais like that, my decisions drastically change. And, mm -hmm. and how I perceive my role as a member of the community, as a servant leader, it changes. 
And so go, coming back to, and I'm sorry I took a wide, hard turn, <laughs> but coming back to public safety, when we have that same care and compassion for men and women that are out you know, patrolling our streets, also, you know, again, multiple different assignments, but people who just want to feel safe, right. want to, to see a presence, want to feel that there's a, there's a return on their investment right, in terms of the taxes that they pay and the services that are provided to them, then decisions change. What do you think makes you the best candidate? There's six people running. Cut. <laughs> <laughs> why, should, why should people vote for you? I think that there's multiple reasons that I, I believe that the platform that we have, the campaign that we've created, it, it's, it's, it's really the people's campaign. Mm -hmm. So again, it's, it's not a campaign about one individual. It's not Rob's campaign. It's not the Cancio campaign. It's a community's campaign. It's a community's call to addressing the issues that folks are going through today. And so this is the only campaign that has a different sense of, uh, of conviction, that has uh, actual direction, that offers uh, key policy implications or recommendations, and not just says buzzwords. I, I think that the, that the argument is, uh, it's, it's been given is, well, you know, we want people that uh, have experience. Well, you know, leadership is experience. Beyond all the candidates, I wrote, I'm the only one that doesn't say, oh, you know what, uh, I support our men and women, I love this country, I love democracy, it's great. No, I actually wrote a blank check. Mm -hmm. And you know what this means, I wrote a blank check to this country and I said, here, I love you. Mm -hmm. I love you. Mm -hmm. And so that's that same attitude this campaign has, it's I love you. You're my people, I live here. I am who I am because of mm -hmm. you. And so. You know, this, this campaign really offers that platform. It, 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 uh, it resonates with the issues and the perception of how we look at issues drastically changes. That's why we're able to offer key solutions. That's why we're, we're taken very serious when we're knocking on doors. Uh, that's why people are flocking to us. And so, you know. How, how, how's the campaign going? I absolutely, I absolutely love it. Yeah. And so, you know, what makes a campaign so much easier is when when people are part of it, when people come together, when people come together, that's when true change happens. And so, you know, this is a newly, freshly minted district. The opportunities for a district are at least, what, a decade? Mm -hmm. the, the potential of sitting on a seat like this, that's drastic, right? That's, that's a, it's an immense opportunity for an individual to take this seat. Uh, but more importantly, that's an immense charge, mm -hmm. an immense responsibility. And so, you know, folks, when we're knocking on doors, when we're making calls, having conversations, folks are receptive. They're excited about our campaign. And so, you know, I'm really happy to say that uh, I'm welcomed everywhere we go. We're so so here's a little bit of a different spin on there. Why do you think you will win? This campaign will win because it's the only campaign that actually offers solutions. We're different. Not just the candidate. Right? I could say I could just sit down and talk about the list while well, I'm the only veteran, I'm the only one served in higher education, I'm, you know, I'm on the school board, uh, I have my own business, uh, I'm a statistician, I actually do publish, I publish policy, some that are being, um, are going up for review in, in, in governmental bodies, uh, both in, in, in this legislature and also in the executive offices. This is the only, can the only candidate that offers that, but apart from that, yeah. you know, apart from that, you know, this is a this is a campaign that really takes people serious. Yeah. This is a campaign that's not 
talking about buzzwords or publishing buzzwords or, or, or just trying to capture that immediate sentiment. This is a campaign of conviction. This is a campaign of responsibility. This is a campaign of compassion. And this is a campaign that really takes seriously what it feels like when you can't fill your gas tank, yeah. when you don't have enough money to, to buy what you need, not what you want, what you need at the grocery store, when you, you really want to open a home or you want to want to purchase a home, but the reception, you know, or it, it's very difficult to purchase a home. That's a very serious conversation to have. Yeah. You know, when you want to better yourself and better your family. And so this campaign does that. No other campaign does that. Any final messages? I think, well, since we're talking about the, the uh, uh, just the news media and just getting word out there, this is the only campaign that actually puts stuff out there mm -hmm. that says, no, this is what we're going to do. This is our platform. No other campaign does that. We're not flooding mailboxes. We're not, we're having conversations. We're knocking on doors. Mm -hmm. And so uh, all I ask for from, from all the residents and constituents and folks that are, that are you know, really taking um, their civic duty seriously is to do your due diligence. Yeah. You know, every candidate has, brings a different thing to the table. Mm -hmm. And so some more than others. Uh, but really think critically about what you want your district to look like and what you want California to look like. Mm -hmm. You know, what type of leadership do you want? You want leadership from the front, then the Cancio campaign's where you go. If you want leadership with a buzzword, well, then you have five other candidates. So, oh, and, that's, and I think that's uh, the reason that we decided to do these shows on there, because the one thing we ask is that everybody be informed, okay? Number one is be informed, number two, vote. Uh, I think that's how we create change in our country, but it's so important uh, here in the assembly district. You said it earlier, somebody here could represent us for a long time, um, and uh, it's so important. So, folks, we want to wrap this up. We want to thank you. Thank uh, you so much. Dr. Rob Concio. Con I, I, it's not that hard to say. That's not going to say. I, hey, listen, my last name is Gara. I've had uh, people call me all kinds of different things. So, so again, the, the magic is the word for song in Spanish is cancion, but the end blew away. There you go. I like that on there. So, uh, Dr. Rob, thank you for being here thank with so us much. on there. We really do appreciate it. Uh, stay informed. Keep listening. We're going to have every single candidate on there, but uh, we appreciate you uh, following along. So thanks for being here with us today, Talking Downey with Mario and Eric.